Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for faith and life. I'm Tony, and today is episode 122 of the podcast, where I sit down with author, speaker, and pastor, Arthur Jones. We talk about his brand new resource, Solid Souls. And and really, what does it mean to be moving towards a solid life with Christ? Am I happy enough? Does it align? Are we eternally visioned? I love some of the conversations that we get into today. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation with Arthur. And if you do enjoy it, do me a favor, hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps spread the word about what God is doing through this platform. And finally, share this episode with a friend. That's the best referral you can give us sharing an episode. Hey, you guys may not know this, but we're a ministry of spirit and truth. We love being connected to them because they have a kingdom-minded mission about reviving the local church. For more information on Spirit and Truth, check them out, spiritandtruth.life. Now, without any further ado, here's my conversation with Arthur Jones. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm excited today to have uh, speaker, author, and pastor Arthur Jones. Arthur, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks, Tony. Glad to be here. Glad to be a part of it. Hey, look, I like to get to hard-hitting questions right out of the gate. And so I, like I noticed that you did undergrad at Kansas and uh, your divinity school at Duke. So the most controversial question I'm going to ask you all day, Duke or Kansas, who are you taking? Kansas all the way. So it's a very – here's the deal. Uh, if If – I went to Duke and everyone kind of loses their undergraduate affiliation. So if you go to a small little Methodist school and you go to Duke, you become sure. a Duke fan. Right. If absolutely. you go to Kansas, you can't, you can't betray your school. You can't betray Kansas for Duke, a blue blood for a blue blood. Uh, and so I'm a fourth generation Jayhawk. Uh, and uh, there was no question. I even went to a Duke UNC game wearing a Kansas shirt. <laughs> Just to make uh, everybody mad? <laughs> Did you get harassed? Well, I root for Duke over UNC because Roy Williams betrayed us and left. But other than that, I mean, I, I rooted for Duke, but I wore a Kansas shirt. And uh, how are you feeling about the Duke transition? You know, uh, uh, I, I think Duke is going to be just fine. Uh, yeah, I think so, too. The, so I'm in a small suburb of Dayton. Some of my listeners know Centerville. We have um, we have a, a junior point guard who's being recruited by all the big schools, and we're waiting. He just got oh, an offer really? from he he just got an offer from Michigan. He's got Michigan, Ohio State, Indiana. Uh, he's got a couple SEC schools. He's in, he's in the top 100, and we're waiting on the Duke. Uh, can't we're waiting for that next echelon of schools. Like, is he going to get an offer from Duke? Is he going to get an offer from Kansas or UNC? And so it's, we, uh, I have a 15 year old yeah. son and we live, we live in this world pretty regularly. Yeah. That top tier. If, if I was in a, if Kansas was a middle tier, you could then root for Duke. You just can't go from Kansas to Duke when you're in the all time wins, all time, you know, championship kind of battle. Uh, you just can't root for the enemy. So. I respect that. And you said you were the, the fourth, um, generation of your family to go to Kansas, but I, I have in my notes that you're a fifth generation Methodist pastor. How does that happen? Um, uh, 
each generation had their choice. Uh, I really, <laughs> were you peer pressured in or was I, it just so, something that you felt like you had to do? So, or? No. so my older brother's a lawyer. Uh, okay. and so he, uh, he did that. My, my sis, twin sister actually runs my family construction company. So my mom is, uh, runs a, fa- a construction company. So my sister is going to be the fourth generation owner operator of our family construction company. We just believe in tradition and, Honestly, I felt the call to being a pastor when I was very young, three or four, oh, wow. and it stayed rather constant. I debated becoming a politician, and I, I, I tell people God saved me from that, and <laughs> uh, I and and sent me to ministry. So really, I've I've known this was my path my whole life, uh, basically. Um, but I had a choice. But this sure. was the only one that actually was made my soul sing and made me fulfilled and help me know that I'm exactly doing what God has asked me to do with my life. So that, that's a great, um, that's a great point that sometimes we just kind of hear God's voice. I always love to ask people, what's it like for you when you feel like God is speaking to you, right? Like how, how do you know when it's the voice of God and not the pizza that you had the other night? How, how do you know when it's, you know, definitively God, Consistency, um, biblical truth, meaning that it aligns with everything that we have, the the stories that we have. But it's also, it keeps getting affirmed um, Mm. in real and transforming ways. I will say I have heard God's voice speak to me audibly once, and it was on the question of whether or not I was going to be a politician or not. (laughs) And I was in a room. Uh, no, I'm at, I'm dead serious about this. This is one of those supernatural moments of my oh, life. I love it. My love family's it. Uh, was heavily involved in Republican politics in Kansas uh, from the real really the 20s through the last decade, and uh, my grandmother was Bob Dole's first campaign manager, and so wow. I was at a, a gala uh, for the Bob Dole Institute of Politics. And I'm sitting in a room with some of the most influential leaders of the state of Kansas, and I felt an oppressive weight on me. Mm. I, I don't know how to describe it besides that, an oppressive weight, like like I was living outside of God's will. Because I was imagining when I was in, you know, well, maybe I should not call the ministry. Maybe I'm called to politics. And it was so um, powerful that I prayed. In that moment, in a room full of people who, if I had a different career trajectory, this is the room to work. This is the room to make connections and do shake hands and all the rest of that. And I instead prayed and I heard God audibly say to me, I I don't know how audibly, it just was like a ringing in my head that just said, you could be good at this, but I've not called you to it. Mm. And I said, okay. And I felt free. And so I think to some extent, there's like in the question of how do you hear God's voice? Does it align with what you've been told? Does it align with your gifting? Does it align with kind of where God has been in the past? And for me, this was the temptation. And there was something, an unholy, there was a holy unrest that was like, this is not okay. This is not where you're supposed to be. And so I took that opportunity and prayed and God spoke to me. So anyway, I don't know. I don't know if that's not happened often in my life. That's really the number one instance of it. But it was so profound that it confirmed what I had previously heard from God in a rather clear way. I love that. And I think it it makes a lot of sense 
when we think about the temptation versus the thriving and where God wants you to be. And that kind of is, is a really good segue into this brand new resource that you have coming out, Solid Souls. And uh, the first question I wanted to ask you is what what drives someone to do a book on such a um, metaphysical topic? Like, I mean, who who one day you wake up and you're like, I, I think I'm going to spend the next couple of years of my life writing about souls, right? Like, how, do, how does that come to be? So I started this book about five times um, and it never quite stuck. Uh, I partially, I love C.S. Lewis. I have read almost everything he's written. And my favorite book is The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. Outside of scripture, this is by far the greatest book that I know. Now, when you and say greatest, you no read like one knows every what year? To do with it. Is that an annual uh, read for you? Multiple times. Okay, um, all right. Yeah, I mean, I would say probably every year. It's also something I led my small group through. Uh, like, it's the weirdest of C.S. Lewis's books in that sense. Yeah, I've something. never read it because it's like C.S. Lewis has yeah. some weird books, mm-hmm. and this one is bizarre. And yet, what it presents is kind of an eternal lens for the daily choices that people make. Mm. And I always loved that. And so, it's Solid Souls is a little metaphysical. It is metaphysical, but it's also practical and day-to-day. And so what I like doing in my life and preaching is mashing up metaphysics and a commute or metaphysics and how do you lead people when you're, you know, at, at, a, at the job you're at, or how do you, uh, a metaphysics and parenting. To me, that actually is a place where there's serious juice of Christian history, theology, practicality. And I think we're all better if we actually have those conversations so that's what I like doing. So I, I really, it's the kind of thing that I've talked about for a long time. I tried to write the book multiple times. And finally, last year, I wrote 55 single-spaced word pages in five days while I played five rounds of golf. That was my, that was my, the chunk of that book was written where I played five rounds of golf and wrote 55 single-spaced pages because basically I, I was just putting down 10 years of ministry mm. in this book because it was just the right time and the right place. And God had a message from. It. So, I mean, d- take me through that in practice. Did you like wake up golf and then go write, Or did you write and then go golf? Uh, I would, uh, I woke up, wrote golfed, wrote till I uh, couldn't see straight anymore, went to bed, woke up. If I had the ability to write, I would write. Then I would go back out and play golf. I was just, it was madness and glorious. And, um, I, I literally, it was my break. I would use my brain, uh, to write and then I'd play yeah. golf and then I'd go back and I'd write. And I loved it. It was my, I can't do that normally. That like required another level of like intensity. My <laughs> wife and kids left for a couple of days so that I could do it. That's awesome. Uh, how'd you shoot on the golf course? Probably not great, but I have fun. <laughs> I don't really remember how I played. Okay, well, like, if it's not a round that stands out, then <laughs> right. <laughs> There's not a round that stands out on it. Um, good, good. But I really, I, I really do believe that metaphysics, or which I want to just define that because I don't know if everyone knows what that yeah. word means. So, 
physics is the study of our natural world, right? Metaphysics is the larger understanding of who we are and the cosmic stories that are true in the same way that physics is true. And so like Genesis is a great book about metaphysics, right? Where God creates the heavens and the earth. Well, there are some technical physics questions by which that process happened, but none of the physics is relevant to God's creation, right? Like God created it regardless of the mechanism that physics discovers. And so the metaphysics is a true element. And so I think, anyway, that's that's what I like doing is talking about those larger frameworks and how they, how they make a difference on the golf course, I suppose. Uh, because frankly, if God did create heaven and earth and created you and me, maybe that means we ought to treat people differently on the golf course or you know, doing literally everything we do in our day-to-day life. Well, and so one of the things that you talk about in the book is the difference between a, a solid soul and a shriveled soul and and that idea, right? I, I was wondering if you could kind of um, uh, break that out for our listeners about like, man, if, if you were going to do a soul assessment right now, how would you know if you were solid or if you were shriveled? So to me, it's less important the precise snapshot. Mm. So this is something that I try to get across to people is uh, people often try to do just a single assessment today of where is my soul. And frankly, that's not actually that helpful. Um, Mm. I mean, it is helpful, but you need a, you need more of a movie than a single picture, right? You need numerous ones over time. So when you look at John Wesley, when he asked the question, how is it with my soul? He actually tracked it day by day by day by day. You could actually track your soul's trajectory, your kind of how you felt, how connected you felt to God. And so what I generally think people ought to do is actually pay attention to the direction of their life. So it's less important to say, okay, so are you shriveled or solid? That could take you forever to figure out. But if you ended up saying, okay, well, today I feel, you know, a five out of 10, I feel, or a six out of 10 or whatever it is, the question is more, where are you headed? then where are you right now? So think about this in terms of marriage. Every married couple that I know says that they are in love and happy on their wedding day. Yeah. There are probably a handful of exceptions, but very rarely is are there exceptions to that rule. Basically, though, the difficulty with marriage is people just ask, well, am I happy enough today? Mm. And they don't pay attention to, well, where's my marriage headed? Am I actually going to be happy over the long run? Am I actually serving each other over the long run? Do we have common vision together? And so when you ask about kind of shriveled versus solid, what I wanted to give was people kind of focused on where am I headed? So am I more loving, more gracious, more kind, more full of self-denial, more full of generosity? Am I in that in my life? Or am I actually going the other direction? Am I actually angrier this month than I was last month? Am I actually more selfish? Am I looking for my own um, uh, needs as opposed to the needs of others? And so it's way more focused on what direction are you headed, i.e. heaven or hell? Yeah. Uh, where Where is your soul headed than a single moment of a snapshot? Now, in all of this, you've kind of interwoven this idea about uh, the kingdom of heaven and how it's here and now. Um, I'm wondering if you could give us uh, a, a, a cheap version, and I hate to use the word cheap, but I, I, I don't want to say simple because it's not that simple either, but uh, give us an understanding of the kingdom of heaven and how it's here and now, and then how that all intertwines with our trajectory. So 
Jesus, when he preaches into the Gospels, I love that in uh, the book of Mark, for instance, uh, uh, Jesus says the kingdom of God is near. Hmm. In the book of Matthew, he says the kingdom of heaven is near. Those are functionally the same things. Those are just different ways in which they got uh, translated down. And what I like to help people understand is that if we are eternal beings, right, which is why the trajectory conversation is important, is it's yeah. not just that we're here temporarily on earth. It's actually that God made us to live eternally. God made us eternal loved creatures. And so the plan for us is to live forever. If you think about, you know, one day in heaven, looking back here on earth, uh, C.S. Lewis has a phrase in The Great Divorce in the preface uh, that says that her earth in the end will not be a distinct place. Meaning that if we're eternal beings, then our time here is not actually just a truncated bit where you live here and then you die and then you go to heaven. It's actually that the kingdom of heaven, according to Jesus' preaching, is actually present now, which means that we are already living eternal lives if we're doing this thing right. Uh, and so when you think about the trajectory of who we're called to be and where we're called to go, I believe that our goal is to be in heaven with God, is to actually live heavenly lives. And that option is afforded to us literally today. I'll tell you what I do know is, and I've said this a lot, is we have a hard time believing that heaven can be lived right now. Mm -hmm. But I promise you we can live hell right now. Yeah. Um, that if hell is choosing something other than God, choosing our own pride, our own greed, alcohol, lust, selfishness, whatever it is, Man, that, that could be lived out here and now today. Um, you know, I um, went through a divorce in my 20s, which I talk about in the book. It was it rocked me. It changed my life. I was uh, went through hell um, in it. And I know hell can be lived here now. But I also believe that God can redeem it and that God can work in it and that we can choose a different pathway. And so that's really why I like the question, not just of where are you solid or shriveled today, but where are you headed? And are you doing the practices that get you to the place where you're closer to God, where the heaven is here now, where you're able to live as Christ asked us to live? Um, and so that's, that's really the focus that I have is focusing on heaven and hell and helping people understand that that's not just some theoretical thing for the future, but it's also something that we can bring about and, 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 and do today. Yeah. Why do you think people have such a hard time imagining that heaven can be lived here today? Right. Like, as you say that it feels incredibly, Oh, that logical. Well, that makes perfect sense. If I can go through hell today, I, I feel like I could go through heaven today, but yet in, in my mind, as we're recording this, I can't stop thinking about what's happening in Afghanistan you know, and, and, you know, it feels like heaven going through heaven today for me feels incredibly unfair to the rest of the world that I know is in so much pain. How, how do we, how do we wrestle with all that tension? Why is that so hard? I think that's a phenomenal question. For those of you that are listening to this, we're recording this, uh, the Tuesday after Kabul fell mm. in Afghanistan. And my wife and I spent some time last night praying for the Christians who are fleeing for the hills yeah. um, so that they, uh, as they are anticipating execution, frankly. And 
what I think is so powerful about the idea of living heaven now is you read the scriptures and you recognize that even Paul was living heaven in prison. Hmm. Right. In Philippians, when he writes about right. rejoicing, even in the tough times, it gives you a sense of um, power over even the uh, hells that are on earth, which is the Taliban right now. You can choose heaven. Uh, and, you know, even in Revelation, the 20th chapter in the fourth verse, it says, And behold, I saw the souls of those who were beheaded for our Lord Jesus Christ, mm. worshiping at the throne of God. And um, choosing heaven now is not a pop psychology framework of optimism. It is a theological and spiritual framework of choosing God over earth. Of choosing God uh, over um, our own selfishness, pettiness, greed, lust, envy, desire, whatever else you have. And so, you know, heaven, uh, you know, it's like Jesus in the Beatitudes, uh, um, you know, blessed are you, happy are you when you are persecuted, when you are insulted for my name's sake. I, I just think there's a different lens when you go to heaven. It's not just a happy-go-lucky Yale psychology course on living a good life. It's an eternal vision that 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 actually God has already redeemed um, death, and that there is hope in all things. You mentioned a little bit ago about um, some of the practices. Uh, we love to get practical here. What are some of the things that we can do to to gain those as you, as you call them eternal eyes? and kind of begin to think about w w that trajectory towards heaven on a regular, you know, on, on a regular Monday or Tuesday or, you know, whatever, how do, how do we make that a part of our normal walk with Christ? So my focus is on the step that comes right before practices. Okay. Um, meaning that I've got some practices in here, but my focus is on, how should you think about your day to enable you to do whatever practice you need to do? Hmm. So for I've got, a, I've got a whole section on relationships, for instance. And uh, I think practices are very helpful, right? Marriage strategies, strategies for parenting. Although I've got a one and a half and a three and a half year old, so I need some additional practices <laughs> and strategies there. Um, uh, but my focus is typically on what are you thinking about when you're engaging right before you enable whatever practice you do? So hmm. for instance, on kids, one of the most practical things that I can do is to understand that my kids are eternal souls. Is actually that my children are full-sized souls who are made in the image of God, which hmm. means that my purpose, right? So the practice element for kids is not for me to have a one day strategy for how I survive my kids tomorrow. Right. So my wife's going out of town on Thursday, on Friday night this week, I've got the kids for 24 hours, uh, me and me and the two little ones. Um, and, uh, you know, my goal, if my goal is to be liked for that 24 hour period, that's not really a great goal, right? Like right. that's not a great strategy. I hope we have a good day. My goal in parenting is not simply to survive that day. Hmm. My goal is actually to see the, my kids with eternal eyes and lengthen my view so that my goal for my children is that they might like me and know me and love God 
and go to church and live a passionate life for Jesus when they're 25 and 30. And so it's not really that I have the best uh, practice strategy for, you know, parenting tips. Rather, it is what's the right lens by which you ought to engage with whoever it is you're engaging with. Because if my goal is for today with my kids, well, that that's actually that's actually a pretty low goal. I could survive that a lot of different ways. Yeah. If my goal is for them to love God and love their neighbor and be a part of the mission of God and love me in 25 years, well, then that's a completely different lens and it allows for a different kind of parenting. Then I know a lot of parents that are looking for, okay, how do I just get them to like me today? Or a lot of parents of teenagers or college kids say, how do I get my kid to church on Sunday? And I think that's the wrong question. I think the right question is, how do I get them to love God in five years? How do I get them actually on a longer trajectory to understand who they are and how and, and how I love them? Uh, so I think the same thing's true for marriage. I think the same thing's true for friendships, um, is that all of our practices are better when we have the right lens to focus on them. Uh, and so I try to look at my wife and think, okay, I'm having a fight with my wife. I don't quite know exactly how to have this conversation with her, but I'm getting married to her for the next 40 years. <laughs> how can that shape how I treat her in this particular moment? Um, and so that really is the, is the phrase for me on solid souls is it's the moment right before the practices hmm. of how to even think about the person you love. That's really something that I focus on in this book. And it, and if we get that mindset, right, if we get that lens, right, as you say, um, that changes even some of our more menial tasks too, right? Because if we think of everything as, as souls colliding, right, as relationships and that sort of idea, which is kind of what I think I hear you saying, then when we go to work, even if that work is at, um, y- you know, something that may not be your forever job, then that will, that should change the way we show up, right? Absolutely. I think, so the last uh, section of my book is about purpose and mission and jobs. Uh, and uh, it's all about how do you reframe what you do with that lens? Because there are a million jobs, right? There are janitors, sure. there are lawyers, there are politicians. There are good and holy ways to have a solid soul in all of those jobs. Even a politician, I'm sure there's a way to do that with a solid soul. Um but there are also ways to do each of those with a shriveled soul hmm. where you choose yourself over someone else. And so one of the things that I love about um, uh, this, this opportunity to have this conversation is because most people don't need to change jobs in order to find fulfillment. There are, I'm sure some of you listening to this are need to change your job in order to find God and do all the rest of that. But not everyone actually has to do that. You could actually find in your current job with a different lens, you know, if you've got a job where you face customers all day, think about them not as facing customers, but as facing souls. Hmm. How might that change your day? Or if you manage a lot of people, you're not just managing people, you're managing souls. How does that change what you're trying to accomplish with them in your day? Um, And the last chapter is uh, my uh, perhaps my favorite, which is entitled Leave It All Out on the Field. And it's the one where I actually talk about John Wesley. 
who ended his life. Basically, he he planned his life. He actually got a lot of money for book publishing over his lifetime, and he gave it all away for the moment he died. He died almost penniless Mm. uh, because he wanted to leverage literally every moment that he had on earth for the kingdom of God. And I love that framework and that concept. And so the question is less, you know, what profession are you in? Then if you had the right lens, dealing with your boss, your coworkers, your friends, your spouse, your children, whatever it is, if you have the right lens and you believe that heaven is possible now and you're trying to get there, can you leverage everything in your life for the kingdom of heaven and not your kingdom? And I think that might change how we view every job we do. And frankly, as far as practices go, I think the spiritual practice every day is reminding yourself you're surrounded by souls. Hmm. You have never met a mere mortal. Um, And so the practice is less how to accomplish it and more can you think about and pray for everybody. So frankly, in the conversation about Afghanistan and Jesus says, pray for your enemies— how do you pray for the Taliban in this story? Mm. How do you actually imagine that you, there are souls all over the place and that God died for them too? Mm. And maybe that would change how we as a church have conversations about literally everything. So that's really more my, my framework and lens is to say, if we got the lens right, maybe the practices would come naturally. Maybe the, what do I do next would actually be much more revealed if we are praying for the souls of even our enemy or our boss we hate or employees who give us heck or the customers mm. who annoy us or a three and a half year old that believes he's 15, right. which is a little <laughs> more personal, I suppose, of an analogy, but that was my morning. So <laughs> we right, always used how to do say, I care for him in that way? That, Huh? Yeah, well, I was going to say that we always used to say that we, my wife and I joke that we don't negotiate with toddlers or terrorists because they're basically the same thing. Well, you know, my dad's joke is, uh, uh, my dad's joke uh, was always, what's the difference between a toddler and a terrorist? And the answer is you can negotiate with a terrorist. Right. Um, that, you know, you're, you're in it, you're in the throes of it. I mean, I, we've got a three and a half year old and a one and a half year old. Like we're in the throes of parenting yeah. of difficult times. When I tell other people the age of our kids, they go, oh yeah, it gets better. <laughs> I'm, I'm told this and I love them. And actually they're really adorable. And, sure, I, and, this, sure, and yeah. uh, after I left this morning, they apparently turned very kind. Well, praise but the Lord. In the moments where you're frustrated how do you understand that they are full-size souls, that God has made them wonderful? Mm. And maybe that changes how you parent. Mm. I, it changes how I try to think about it. I'm not always great at it, but I'm working on it. Mm. I, I think that there's probably somebody listening right now who feels like their trajectory might be off a little bit. Maybe their their pandemic has not been great to them, or maybe they're in a really difficult season. How does somebody begin to turn around um, that trajectory in their life from feeling like they're heading towards a, a shriveled, shriveled soul um, to, to a solid one? How, what, what's kind of the, the first step that you might um, challenge someone to do if they're ready to, to change trajectory? 
Well, the word, the key word that you said is to turn around, which hmm. is the word for repent. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the key word there is you get to choose that different trajectory today. Um, and that you don't have to be bound by what happened in the past. So if you're there right now and you're in the throes of your own battle, and you're in the throes of your own hell, and you are living out the consequences of either our broken world or your own broken choices. Hmm. The first word is to say, this is why Jesus came. This was his message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Repent, Hmm. turn, find a different path. And so the first word is to say, pray, pray about it. Fall on your knees right now and say, God, I'm sorry. Say, God, I want to have a different life. Find a great church that that preaches the death and the resurrection of Jesus mm. and uh, that talks about that possibility and pray about it and um, show up. I mean, I, you know, uh, John Wesley had three simple rules uh, that were rather important. The first one is uh, to do no harm. The second one is to do good. And the third one, I think, is the answer to your question which is attend upon all the ordinances of God, which means do what God told you to do. What it means is, okay, it's actually rather simple. I know it seems really hard and it seems like it's not possible, but just do the things that God told you to do. Pray, find a church, love God, love your neighbor, and try to do it again the next moment, the moment after that, and the moment after that. And if you keep attempting to find the narrow pathway, as Jesus says, the pathway towards heaven, the pathway of rejecting what you want probably for what God wants. If you do that day by day, bit by bit, it's not a, you know, repentance is often thought of as a Paul on the road to Damascus type deal where, you know, all of a sudden God comes and now you've got a solid soul. But that's not really my experience. My experience is that it's got to be unwound, that you've got to actually turn around and take the steps of repentance. Hmm. It's got to take the steps of actually saying to people you've hurt, I'm sorry. It's why I love Alcoholics Anonymous, right? Like this is a really good analogy for shriveled souls is people who choose alcohol over family. And they've got an entire step of process for how you choose a whole life how you choose a sober life and it requires repentance. It requires meetings. It requires just doing the things you're supposed to do. And so it's not like uh, a magic wand. It's more like turning around because you've been going the wrong direction. But sometimes that means you've got to follow the same ground that you had previously messed up and do it different. Amen. That'll, that'll preach any day of the week. I love that. Uh, okay, Pastor, I have one more question for you. But before we do that, I know that my listeners are going to want to connect with you all over the interwebs. Where is the best place they can learn more about you, your ministry, and pick up a copy of Solid Souls? Uh, of course. So uh, St. Andrew launched our own publishing house uh, called Invite Resources. Uh, it's inviteresources.com. Uh, we did this for a very specific reason. I wanted a new model for publishing. Um, it's not to say other models are bad, but to say I wanted, frankly, this is related to heaven and hell and what we choose. Mm. Um, I wanted a, a world where I didn't get paid for my books. 
I, I've been around Christian publishing for a long time, and I, every dollar that goes towards the book Solid Souls goes back to the mission and ministry of my church. Hmm. Uh, and so we designed an entire system of publishing so that everything would be aligned towards the kingdom of heaven and not the kingdom of Arthur. Uh, and so we, we created our own publishing house actually the day after COVID hit. We said to a guy on staff, we've been dreaming about this for a while. And March like 13th of, of 2020, we said, okay, you're no longer in charge of all our communications. Let's, let's actually do this thing. So inviteresources.org. Uh, I think it's .org. Maybe it's .com. We'll um, link to it in the show uh, notes. But invite way. resources. Invite re, okay. Inviteresources.com will definitely get you there. Uh, but invite. Uh, St. Andrew's my church. Uh, so it's standrewumc.org is my church. Uh, but Invite Resources is the publishing house we created. And we named it that way because Andrew doesn't do anything in the Bible except invite people to Jesus. Hmm. Both his brother Peter and a uh, little boy with fishes and loaves. All he did was invite people to Jesus. And so that's all we're doing. We don't think we're anything special. We think Jesus is something special. And so we're really working to align everything we do for the kingdom of God and not for an earthly kingdom uh, uh, because an earthly kingdom doesn't last. So that's where we do things, invite resources. Uh, and so we've got other books coming out this next year. They're going to be a lot of fun. Um uh, actually one that's practical on parenting. We've got a book entitled what Jesus expects of us. We've got like 15 books down the pathway for next year. Um, we believe that there are a lot of people coming on board saying, I think Christianity needs an addition, needs a new way to, needs a new way to publish, yeah, needs yeah, a man. new platform. And, uh, we're working on it. Praise God. Praise God. Okay. Last question. I always love to ask people. It's an advice question and you have to give yourself one piece of advice except I get to take you to a very specific day. And so in this particular case, I would like to take you back to the day after you graduated Duke Divinity. And so you're a brand new seminary graduate. You're getting ready to go out into the world. You can go back and talk to that younger version of Arthur. What's the one piece of advice that you give yourself? So that's a very specific time frame for me uh, because I um, I was about to go through a divorce and I didn't know it. Hmm. And I would not have given myself a heads up. I would have simply said, hell can be redeemed. Hmm. Keep the faith. Hell can be redeemed. And I think that's all I would have said, because frankly, God used that hell for some pretty cool ministry. And I, my, my, um, my life was about to get really rocked. Mm. And, you know, it's crazy when, it's crazy when you don't actually wish away the hell you'd already gone through because of the beauty of which God has, and, and that, that God has brought from it. And so I wouldn't have taken away my pain. I wouldn't have taken away the difficulty. I wouldn't have even given myself a heads up. I simply would have said, even hell can be redeemed. Amen. Amen. Uh, thank you so much for being generous with your time today and your commitment to uh, the building the kingdom of God and all the work that you put into this resource. 
Uh, I'm just praying for amazing things to happening. I, I really do appreciate it. Well, Tony, I really love chatting with you and, uh, um, I'm grateful for you and may God bless you as you, uh, continue in this podcast and all your other endeavors. Man, I love that conversation. You know, being a fifth generation Methodist pastor, uh, Arthur really gives us some things to think about. I also love the way he looked at trajectory and what makes our souls more solid. I think he's got an incredible word for us. Hey, do me a favor, hit him up on the socials. Let him know you heard him on the Reclamation podcast, how much you appreciated him being on here. Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Leave us a rating, a review, and share this episode with a friend. I'm so thankful for each and every one of you, for your ministry, for what you do. And as always, if you want to follow Jesus, you must be willing to move.